Scripture reading from John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with, uh, to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Good evening. A number of years ago, there was a man who wrote a letter to Johnny Carson every day for four years. He had the same request in every letter. He asked if he could have the privilege of saying those magical words to kick off the show. Here's Johnny. And that's what he wanted. So every day he wrote a letter. Now during that, those four years, during that time, the man's wife divorced him, said he was a kook. But his persistence eventually paid off because Johnny Carson relented and invited him to come to Southern California and kick off the show saying those words, here's Johnny. I share that because if Johnny Carson can do that, what would a gracious God, a merciful God, a good God, how would he respond to one of his children just asking, asking, and asking? Tonight we're going to consider the attribute of persistence. Now we think of persistence, maybe uh, some of that, and maybe mostly we go to it in a negative way, of someone being a bother, or maybe being a kook, and doing something over and over and over again. But I want us to see this story that Jesus tells, and, and as he shares, that we need to be persistent, specifically in the area of prayer. Now he tells this story just to the disciples, not to the masses, not to the huge crowd. Luke tells us it was just to the masses. He's conveying them where persistence is truly needed, and that is in prayer. I want to divide our study into two different areas. First, I want us to look at the parables, kind of familiar to us, but then secondly, and spend some time in application. What does it mean? What does it mean to be persistent in prayer? The parable, I want us to begin by noticing its own persistence. Look in Luke 18, if you want to follow in your Bibles, verses 1 through 5, or it's also on the screen. Then Jesus told, this, told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town that kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Warren Wearsby points out that back in this setting, we need to think about what was going on when you think of a courtroom. Don't think of a, a fine marble building, maybe the nicest, classiest uh, a building in the downtown area. Instead, think of a tent. A tent that would travel around because that's the way the judges, they would go in the circuit and they'd go around and it was an open air tent. And so anybody could, could look in and see what was going on or even listen in. But to be able to have your case heard, you had to be persistent. 
And usually that even required some bribing of his assistant so that the judge would even hear the case. Well, what's the purpose of the parable? Sometimes Jesus would just share a story or a parable and let the people guess what it was. And maybe at the end he would say, this is what it means. And give the interpretation. But Christ told this parable and he gives the point right off the bat. Look what Luke says, Luke verse, uh, one, uh, verse 1 of Luke 18 Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So understand, this is, in Jesus' point, not a motivational speech, but really just a challenge for his followers to spiritually go deeper in their prayer life, to be persistent in their prayers. So who are the different people, the characters in the parable? Well, the first one that we see is the persistent widow. The woman had, if you will, three strikes against her uh, just because of her culture. Uh, First, she was a woman. Secondly, she was a widow. And then third, she had this adversary. I mean, just because of those things, she had no way to bring this about. I mean, she was truly helpless, again, because of the culture, because of the setting. In fact, women in that day were just a little above animals. She was a nobody. She didn't have a man to plead her case. She was a widow, and then now she had this adversary. Sometimes we think of her as being poor, but the text really doesn't say that. But she had this enemy, this adversary. We don't know him. He's not described. We don't know the crime. Was something stolen from her? You know, was she offended personally? Was she abused by this person? Maybe was it some kind of illegal swindling something from her, and then she had no recourse. She had no way... Uh, to, to get help. We really don't know what the situation was. What we do know is that she needed justice. Some wrong had happened to her and she needed justice to happen badly. And she did the only thing she knew to do is to appeal for justice. And she made that appeal over and over again. She pressed the point, even to this judge who, as the story goes, did not fear God and didn't care about people. She, went all, she kept going on and on and on until she finally got her answer. Kind of like the man that wrote 1,400 letters to Johnny Carson. Well, the second character we see here is this callous judge. Again, we learn that you know, he neither feared God, he didn't care about people. You know, and it's sad because sometimes you'll see that in a politician or, or maybe a, a teacher in school, uh, can be a preacher or another public servant. They, they start off good. That's the reason they were attracted to that field. They wanted to make a difference. But something happens along the way. They, they kind of lose touch with people. And they shouldn't be in that position anymore. This judge was unscrupulous. Cold, calculating, selfish. He did what he did. If you notice, he granted her wish. Not because it was right. Not because it was just. Not because he cared about her. He did it for himself. He wanted to shut her up. He wanted to get her out of the way. He wanted her to go away. Vernon McGee says you can almost translate this as instead of saying she was wearing him out, instead to say, I gave in lest she give me a black eye. She was that persistent. He was worried that she kept coming over and over and over. What was she going to do next? Look at verses 6 through 8. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. And so that's the next character in the story, and that is a merciful God. 
And I think it's important for us to, to notice this parable is not to equate God with this unjust judge. In fact, it's to contrast God with this callous judge. It's their differences that Jesus is calling our attention to and wanting us to see. If this heartless judge will eventually give in, how much more will your loving Father give you what you're asking for when you are persistent in your prayers to Him? See, God is too good to ignore our requests. Maybe you heard the story about the woman who locked her keys in her car. It was a busy street in a downtown area, so she just walked into the, the store nearby, but he was busy. The clerk was busy, and he couldn't leave his post. He couldn't leave the, the customers, and so he just gave her a hanger, and she went out to try to get into her car, but she didn't know the first thing about how to use that wire hanger. And so she said, well, you know, I'm just going to have to pray to God to help me. And so she prayed, Lord, will you send somebody to help me? And about that time, this real sketchy looking guy in dark coveralls came up to her and said, hey, can I help you with something? And she explained what was going on and, and he took that hanger and he was able to, to go inside the door and, and to make that hook and unlock the door and she was so thrilled. In fact, she said to him, you're such a good person, you must be a Christian. He said, ma'am, I'm not a Christian and I'm not a good person. In fact, I just got out of jail for car theft. Well, she just hugged him and said, thank you, Lord, for sending me a professional. <laughs> what we know is God usually doesn't respond that quickly or even that directly. Frankly, sometimes his answers don't seem to come at all. And we're left to deal with that silence. Sometimes that silence is merely God teaching us patience. Sometimes that silence is because the timing isn't right. Sometimes it seems that He's silent, but He's answered our prayer. But we're not persistent. We've moved on to something else, and we don't even hear Him. There's one more group that's worth mentioning in this teaching, and that is the faithful people. Not so much a character, but it's still a part of the story. The faithful people. Jesus concludes the parable by asking, look in verse 8. He asks the question, He wraps up the story saying, However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? When the Lord comes back, is there going to be anybody left who's still hanging on, who's still full of faith? His heart's desires when He returns that He will find people of faith. People who are devoted to God. People who are persistent in their prayers. People who are passionate about serving their Lord. He's looking for faithfulness. And the question is, is He going to find it in you? Is He going to find it in me? Is He going to find it at all? In the end when we're judged, will there be any faithfulness left? God is a merciful God and He delights in answering prayers, but He wants us to keep praying. James wrote in James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. doesn't say you have to be long. doesn't say it has to be eloquent, but just be powerful and effective. You don't have to use the big words. It's an issue of the heart. And Jesus is teaching a persistent heart. Well, what's the application? We've looked at the parable. What are we supposed to learn from this? What's the takeaway? Well, I want to change gears and look at a pattern, if you will, for praying and look at a couple of steps that we can learn from this, especially as Jesus is teaching us to be persistent in prayer. What do we learn? Number one, pray specifically. Pray specifically. Sometimes it's easy for us personally to model our prayers after what we hear generically in our gatherings. 
And what we hear generically is, is God, thank You for our blessings, and Lord, forgive us of our sins. And we're generic with those. And in a gathering, maybe that's best. But if that's what we use to model our personal prayers, we're missing. We're missing a lot. When we pray specifically for what we need, for what we want, when we pray specifically confessing our prayers to God, we don't do that to enlighten Him or to tell Him He knows already. We're really doing that for our own benefit. He knows the sins we've committed. He knows what we've done. He knows what we need. He knows our heart. We're communicating it in a way that we acknowledge God is holy. And we are not. We need help. And just like this, this widow, this woman who has this adversary, she has no recourse. Somebody's got to help her. We're in that same situation. Only God can answer our prayers. There's a great story in Acts 12 that is quite an indictment on the early church, but as I read the story, I, I put myself in the same category. You remember in Acts 12, the church is still in its infancy and, and the word is spreading, but so is the opposition. Stephen has already been stoned. And chapter 12 opens telling us that King Herod took James and had him beheaded. Notice the response he got. So he took Peter also. And the church responded. I think it's in verse 5 it says that they were earnest praying for Peter's release. Praying for him. And you know the story how the angel came and, and got Peter out of prison. And he was able to, to come to the house where the church had gathered and was knocking at the door. And sweet Rhoda comes to the door and recognizes his voice. You remember? Knew it was Peter. Left him there and goes and tells everybody it's Peter and they don't believe him. They're praying for Peter to be released. And he's released and they don't believe it. And you read through that story and you think, how could they be that way? The way you and I are that way. Are we just like that? We pray, we want, but do we believe? Sometimes I find myself praying for something specifically, and God will bring it about. And I'm so grateful it happened, but I didn't really think that it came from Him. And I can't help but wonder if He's thinking, hello, you asked for it, here it is. So pray specifically. Secondly, pray confidently. And we see this over and over in Scripture. Sometimes we allow our prayers to be paralyzed by fear. Out of reverence to God, we keep them so, so neutral, so benign. What if God doesn't answer the prayer the way I want Him to? What if God doesn't come through? What if? And the doubts are greater than faith. 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. We have so much to pray about. I've never met a person that didn't have something to pray about. There's struggles. There's concerns. There's, there's fears. Can you imagine if you got this letter from your child who was away at camp? Dear Mom and Dad, our scoutmaster told us to write to our parents just in case you saw the flood on TV and were worried. We are okay. Only one of our tents and two sleeping bags got washed away. Luckily, none of us got drowned because we were all up in the mountain looking for Chad when it happened. Oh yes, please call Chad's mother and tell her he is okay. He can't write because of the cast. I got to ride in one of the search and rescue jeeps. It was neat. We never would have found him in the park if it wasn't for the lightning. Did you know, Mom, that if you put gas on the fire, the can will blow up? 
Wet wood doesn't burn, but one of our tents did. Also, some of our clothes. John's going to look weird until his hair grows back. We'll be home on Saturday if Scoutmaster Wald gets the car fixed. The wreck wasn't his fault. The brakes worked okay when we left. Scoutmaster Wald is a neat guy, don't worry. He's a good driver. In fact, he's teaching Terry how to drive on the mountain roads when there isn't any traffic. All we ever see up here is logging trucks. Guess what? Today, wait, today, wait, and I threw up. But Scoutmaster Wald said it was probably just food poisoning from the leftover chicken. He said they got sick that way from the food they ate in prison. I'm so glad he got out and became our Scoutmaster. We're going to town now to mail our letters and buy bullets. Don't worry about anything. We're fine. P.S. How long has it been since I had a tetanus shot? <laughs> Have you ever sent your child away at camp? Or off to college? Or to serve in the military? you got something to pray about. Everyday life, there are so many things that we get clouded. Fear takes over. And we don't pray with confidence. Paul wrote this in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You pray. You tell Him. You pray confidently. You know that He wants to hear from you. He believes in you when you don't believe in Him. Even if your life is going pretty smooth now, you keep praying because it's only a matter of time until there's going to be a dip. You'll be in a valley and you're going to need Him. And that verse is going to have a lot more meaning. So pray with faith. Pray with confidence. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Howard Hendricks tells of a church years ago in Dallas. You see, they were having trouble getting a teacher for the, the junior high class, especially the, the boys' class. And the, the list of the prospects were, were pretty grim, and they weren't sure what they were going to do. In fact, he was told there was one name on it, and they said, no, not him. But he, he took the class. Hendrick said, you've got to be kidding. I couldn't even have been more wrong about that young man. In fact, class was going so well. I took him aside and I said, tell me what's going on. What's the secret of your class? Because the boys loved the class and they were learning so much about God and they didn't want to miss. And this person he thought was the last one to teach the class, he explained it like this. He said, he's a little black book. And on each page is a picture of each boy. And under each picture, there were comments like, having trouble in math. He comes to church against his parents' wishes. He'd like to be a missionary, but he doesn't know if he's got what it takes. And the teacher said this to Mr. Hendricks, I pray over these pages every day, and I can hardly wait to come to church each Sunday to see what God is doing in their lives. Pray confidently. Number three, pray persistently. Pray persistently. You can't read this parable and not get this message. And at times we're tempted to give up on prayer in these situations. We see somebody and think there's no hope. There's a terminal illness and so we don't even ask God for help. The salvation of somebody we love because they keep, seem to be turning their head away and their heart away. There seems to be no hope. 
the marriage is dead and it's not getting any better. The resumes keep turning down and the list goes on. And so we just stop praying. Jesus is teaching us in this passage to keep praying, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking until the doors open. I think that's why Jesus said at the end of this teaching, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when He comes? Think about Galatians 6-9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You call on the power of the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Which brings me to number four. Pray continuously. Pray continuously. A little bit different than being persistent. Persistent is that, that one thing. You hang on to that one thing. But the continuously is that you just keep praying. You keep praying all the time anyway about all kinds of things. First Thessalonians 5.17, the Bible says, Pray without ceasing. Constantly. Not just when you come to church, constantly. Let's just say your house was uh, being painted. And you need a place to stay. And you say, okay, Randy, I'm going to come and, you know, can I come and stay with you and see you for a while? And I say, sure, come on. And so you come and you bunk with us. And so for a week you're there every day. And you go to work and, and we go to work and we come on the end of the day and we're eating a meal together and you say a few words, but that's it. You don't talk. You just kind of stay to yourself. And I'm thinking, you are one weird person. But I'll let you keep staying. And the next day, it's the same thing. Almost treating me like a stranger. And then Sunday comes, and we come to church together, and then you're all talkative. Well, hey, Randy, how you doing? You're such a good guy. Thanks for letting me stay. I love you. I'm going to be thinking, you've got problems. But think about that. Kind of an absurd example. But if we wait to talk to God only when we're in worship, only when we come to church, when He's sitting right there on the couch with us, when He's sitting there at the table with us, when He's driving down the road with us, He's with us all the time. His Spirit is living within us. We don't have to wait until we come to church to talk to Him. We can talk to Him every day. I share that really almost like a confession. I shudder to think about how many times he's right there and I don't acknowledge him. Sitting on the couch, riding shotgun in the car. The Lord wants us to pray to him. You know this already. Prayer is just a conversation between you and God. And it's not really for, for his benefit as much as it's for our own. It's good for us. Maybe you pray early in the morning. You commit your day to Him. Maybe when you're driving down the road and people look at you and think you're talking to yourself, but you're praying to Him. Maybe you pray out loud so that you stay focused and you don't drift. Or maybe for you, you pray and you write it down in a journal and you keep that safe. But that helps you to just remember your prayer and remember to pray. We can pray anytime, anywhere, regardless of the circumstances, to pray without ceasing. So that prayer becomes... As natural as breathing. It's not our last resort. It's our first response. We don't get so wrapped up in the mechanics of praying. It's just an ongoing conversation. We're that close. God is that close. Henry Blackaby said, if you do not have clear instruction from God in a the matter, then pray and wait. Depend on God's timing. His timing is always right and best. Don't get in a hurry. 
He may be withholding directions to cause you to seek Him more intently. Don't try to skip over the relationship to get on with the doing. Let me read that again. Do not skip over the relationship to get on with the doing. God is much more interested in a love relationship with you than He is in what you can do for Him. Well, the final area in our prayer. Pray humbly. God is all-powerful. God is just. God is good. And He will settle score in the way at the end that, that all your adversaries will get what they deserve. And you need to know that. So pray humbly. And that humble prayer requires us to remove our ego. We are not the judge. And we are not to take matters into our own hands. It's an acknowledgement that God is sovereign. That we are the creation. He is the Creator. He is in charge. He is in control. And we pray in our attitude, if not in our words, not my will, but Your will be done. God knows it all. But sometimes when we pray, we pray for healing, and the person dies. But God is still on His throne. God is still in control. And He will work out His will and do what is best in spite of what Satan does and intends for evil. When we pray humbly, we are acknowledging that God knows best. We can give Him suggestions. We can tell Him what we want. But He will do what's best for His children. Now, I share all of this not to make us feel less than or this tall in our prayer life. But as Jesus taught this prayer to challenge us to pray and to be persistent in our prayer, I want us to be challenged as well. To step it up a notch. To pray more fervently. To never give up. You might remember this. USA Today featured a full-page ad a couple of years ago. It was a man who was running across the finish line it was from the 1968 Olympics. The ad was entitled, The Greatest Last Place Finish Ever. Let me read you the caption. Mexico City, 1968. Out of the cold darkness he came. John Stephen Akwari of Tanzania. He entered at the far end of the stadium and with pain hobbling every step of the way. He was le- his leg was bleeding. It was bloody. And it was bandaged. The winner of the Olympic marathon had been declared over an hour earlier. Only a few spectators remained. But the lone runner pressed on. And as he crossed the finish line, a small crowd broke into applause. Afterward, a reporter asked the runner why he had not retired from the race since he had no chance of winning. Akwari seemed rather confused by the reporter's question. And finally he answered him and he said, My country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to finish it. You've probably heard that quote before, haven't you? Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And maybe what God would tell you tonight is hang on. Keep the faith. Stay faithful. Keep in the race. And if you've stepped on the sidelines or maybe been discouraged or if you've wondered if it's worth it, His word to you tonight is to stay persistent. To not doubt. To not give up. But if you've been on the sidelines, 
I want to encourage you to get back in. To get back in the race. Or tonight, if you need to confess the name of Jesus Christ, that you believe that He is the Son of God, we have the water ready to help you in your baptism so that you can be made a new creation as you're buried with Him. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?